Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Surprise Jeb Podcast. I'm your host, Zachary Ruger, surprising you with new topics every single week and jabbing you with your daily dose of UFC information, fight predictions, news, all sorts of all sorts of things UFC. That's primarily what I focus on here, but we always talk about other things. I mean, we talked about processed foods last week, endangered animals, and today, our surprising topic, if you want to call it that, we are going to be ranking... The Phase 1 movies out of Marvel. That's right. I am a Marvel fan. I do enjoy watching the MCU movies. As of late, they've been kind of kind of iffy. I mean, certainly Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 was very good. But, I mean, looking back, Black Panther 2 was kind of mid. Doctor Strange 2, very mid. I mean, I'm not going to talk about the fourth Thor. That was just a goofy film. And with the Marvels coming up, I am not looking forward to that. And the TV shows have been kind of... Kind of sucky, but I figured I would go back to my roots, Marvel, the phase one, what kicked it all off. And these are all just such good movies. So we'll be ranking those six movies of phase one later on. We're going to be recapping, of course, UFC Singapore, which went down Saturday, August 26th. Early morning card, I uh, I woke up at 6.45. My alarm did not go off, so I missed the, missed the prelims, but I was able to catch the entire main card, which I saw at 7 a.m. Uh, Central Time. It was it was a good it was a good event definitely worth waking up for. We're also going to be talking about the NFL a bit, rounding out the preseason, some injuries that the um, we're going to be looking at to start off the season, and we're also going to be previewing Dana White's Contender Series, the 60th installment of it. That's right, this is season seven, episode four, but it is the 60th installment or episode, I guess if you want to call it that, of Dana White's Contender Series. So yeah, we have a lot to cover. I am working on getting a guest on um, virtually, and I'm also working on do, having two guests on in person. We're working on getting both of those set up potentially for next week, but without ado, let's get into it. We got a lot of stuff to cover and all the time in the world. To start off, I did see a study today, or I saw an article from ESPN, and I figured I would talk about it because it was very interesting. So... And this this was a study. So a new study has diagnosed the degenerative brain disease, chronic traumatic encephalopathia. If you want to know what that word is, that's CTE. That's what CTE is, chronic traumatic encephalopathy. I'm so sorry for my mispronouncing. They found it in more than 40% of youth, high school, and college athletes, primarily football players, who were exposed to repetitive head impacts from contact sports and that have died before the age of 30 which I thought was just insane. So the study was conducted by the Boston University CTE Center, and they based it on an examination of 152 brains that had been donated. These were all from athletes who had died young, so they, they weren't just going around grabbing brains. And um, the fact that over 40% of young contact and collision sport athletes in the UNITE brain bank have CTE is remarkable considering that studies of community brain banks show that fewer than 1% of the general population has CTE, said Dr. Anne McKee, the lead author on this study and director of the Boston University CTE Center. After I was hearing this, I was definitely thinking back to all the concussions I know that people that I knew played football, people that even played hockey, not so much, even lacrosse. I mean, football is definitely more contact. Your goal is to hit someone. And the reason I'm bringing this article up is because in MMA, your main goal is to hit your opponent in your head, submit them. So a lot of stuff going on there. Continuing in the article. 
However, the findings emphasize that not all contact sport athletes with symptoms have CTE. Suicide was the most common cause of death in the cohort. Although the research revealed no relationship between the cause of death and the presence of CTE, there was also no statistical significant difference in any clinical symptoms between those with CT and those without. Symptoms such as depression and apathy were reported in nearly 70% of the athletes, despite almost 59% of them not having CTE. So there is a correlation, there isn't a correlation. It's hard to tell, but definitely if you get hit in the head enough, it can alter some things and maybe even like... I'm trying to think of the the part of the brain where it gives you like happiness or it makes you like enjoy things like that could maybe be altered potentially is what I'm taking away from this. The study published Monday in JAMA Neurology drew its findings from a cohort of 152 donors, 63 of whom oh, were diagnosed with CTE at the time of death. There were just 152 donate brains. The donors died from 2008 to 2022. Age range was 13 to 29. Oh my gosh. All of the brain studies showed the earliest stages of CTE. Mostly athletes diagnosed with CTE played football as their primary sport. A small number played hockey and soccer. Hmm? I guess we're getting belted in the head with a soccer ball. My goodness. The scientists also diagnosed CTE in the first American woman athlete, an anonymous 28-year-old collegiate soccer player. This adds to the emergent list of women athletes with CTE. After scientists in Australia, oh my goodness, this, this is all over. After scientists in Australia earlier this year posthumously diagnosed Heather Anderson, a former Australian rules footballer, with the first case of CTE in women's professional sports. Wow. Yeah, I suppose men were more aggressive, were more likely to bang into each other, just headbutt each other for no reason. So I guess, you know, you don't really hear of women with CTE. That, that's actually an interesting thing. To round out the article... In addition to evaluating the brains, the researchers also conducted online surveys and post-mortem interviews with mostly athletes, next of kin, to better understand the cognitive symptoms that presented before death. Without a clear association between symptoms and CTE status, the study concluded that young athletes exposed to repetitive head, head impacts were highly sympathetic irrespective of CTE status, and the causes of symptoms might be related to multiple factors. I'm, I'm just taking away from that that CTE can be correlated but you also have to take in a number of factors also well if the person was depressed and they managed to get cte that's you can't really correlate those because there was already one prevalent let's say they get um cte and then they become depressed or let's say they're never depressed and they just have cte and the brain deteriorates or something but i don't know i thought the article was super interesting i felt it correlates to a lot of the sports we talk about but at the end of the day, I just, oof, just be careful in the contact sports. I know a lot of people have played hockey, a lot of people have played football, some wrestlers, some soccer players. I mean, it's it's all it's all about just being smart. All right, if you're going out there just intentionally throwing caution to the wind, you may or may not be at a risk for CTE. So, moving on from that unfortunate note, since we had to hear about 152 dead people or that were young, 13 years old. Gosh, I hope that person didn't kill themselves. That'd be so depressing. But no matter how they die, you know, my condolences to the family. All right. But diving into a happy note, the NFL season kicks off next Thursday. 
September 7th, I believe it is. I'm so pumped. I'm so glad the preseason's over. I still have at least three fantasy drafts to do. I have to get them all set up, and then I'll be reading you guys my teams, and you can judge me, but I'm very I'm very excited. So let's just uh, roll through some of the NFL preseason. Um, a big one in week uh, three of the preseason as the Broncos beat the Rams 41-zip, 41-0. I saw that um, Jared Stidham had 236 yards and a touchdown at halftime. And then Ben DiNucci took over and scored 117 points and another touchdown for himself. They also, um, some running backs ran in some stuff. But wow, the Broncos, honestly a laughingstock of the uh, the league with how bad Russell Wilson's been playing. I'd put Stidham or Ben DiNucci in over Russell Wilson just to do it. And as for the Rams, I mean, we'll see if Matthew Stafford can bounce back after missing the majority of last season. But um, I'll tell you something sad, guys, is that the Vikings went 0-3. You know, I, I mention all the time, I don't care about the preseason, the preseason no matter. But, I mean, come on, we didn't win a single game. I did see Kirk Cousins on the sidelines rocking a nasty um, Hulk Hogan stash. It was, it was looking good. But, man, we're going to go 0-3 in the preseason, and then we're going to go 17-0. In the regular season, just watch. But um, here are all the teams that either went undefeated or didn't win a single game. The Commanders go three and zero. I don't know how they're gonna do this year. I um, I saw they have um, oh, what quarterback took over for them? He was a uh, he was a rookie years. He's like his, his um, sophomore year or something. Oh, his name isn't coming to mind. But the Commanders should be watch out for them. I think Antonio Gibson might be getting a more lead role. The Steelers go 3-0 to my um, roommate's happiness, I bet. He's a, he's a big Steelers fan. Kenny Pickett, George Pickens, I mean, Najee Harris. You got, um, who am I thinking of? Deontay Johnson. The Steelers are going to be interesting this year. They got a young core. The Bengals don't win a single game going 0-2-1. Man, I'm, I'll be interested when because I'm going to read through um, all the injury lists and questionabilities for the first few weeks of the NFL in a second, and all I know is that if Joe Burrow is out for the first couple weeks, that could definitely hurt the Bengals, although they do have a very stacked roster, so I'm sure a backup quarterback could make up for that. The Panthers go 0 for 3 as well behind, um, oh, it's not um, Bryce Young, behind Bryce Young. I get Bryce Young and CJ Strode mixed up. I don't know why. Panthers don't win a game. Jags go 3-0. and They are going to be very promising this year. Trevor Lawrence, they finally got Calvin Ridley. Uh, I don't know how Travis Etienne, how his touches are going to go since they um, drafted another running back, but we'll see. Good for them. The Eagles go 0-2-1, but I'm sure they were not playing any starters. They don't want to risk anything. And the Rams go 0-3, and I have no hope for the Rams this year. I'll be honest. If the Rams do well, that'll be my surprising, surprising team for the year to do well. But hey, you know, I'll be rooting for Matt Stafford because I do feel bad for him. So we're going to go through every single team's NFL injuries and po- and just... Pretty much on every team, almost every team, we're going to point out some of the more interesting ones. So, this is as of August 28th. Kyler Murray is actually going to be out to begin the regular season. The Cardinals don't plan to activate Murray because of a knee injury from their active list to begin, according to Adam Schefter of ESPN Reports. Man, the Cardinals had a terrible season last year. They might have been the worst team in the league and not having Kyler Murray is definitely going to hurt. I believe the backup is Joshua Dobbs, so he'll be starting. Man, I don't know about them Cardinals guys. I, ugh, not looking too good. Um, Zach Ertz isn't slated to play in Saturday's preseason game, so that already happened. So 
hopefully Zach Ertz can come back. He is a he's one of those tight ends where if you have him available, it'd be very nice. Moving on to the Atlanta Falcons, Cordell Patterson's soft tissue injury isn't serious, but the Falcons nonetheless plan to be patient. Josh Kendall, the athletic reports. The Falcons are going to be very interesting. I saw something that the death chart currently has Bijan ranked at the number three with Cordell at the one. I know that Bijan's been going in round one in a lot of fantasy leagues. I don't know if I'm going to be drafting him in round one, but I mean, shoot. I always like uh, young running backs that turn out to be super good. So such as I remember how when Christian McCaffrey first joined the league, everyone was like, oh, he's just some random running back that out of Stanford. And he turned out to be one of the one of the greats, one of the greats of the fantasy football generations. <laughs> Anyways, moving on to the Baltimore Ravens, very interesting team this year. Mark Andrews is currently questionable as of August 28th. John Harbaugh said on Monday, which was actually today, that he expects Andrews to practice next week and play in the season opener on September 10th. I really hope so. Mark Andrews has been my fantasy team the last two years. He's always reliable. I always enjoy playing with him. Um, to the um, Bills, this is from July 31st. Um, Vaughn Miller is supposed to be ready by week one. Being ready is definitely a possibility, according to their general manager, but it is not certain at the moment. Bills, man, they got a lot to prove this year. They have been the B-plus team these last few years. Supposed to win win the conference every single year, and they've just been sucking. So Josh Allen, Stefan Diggs, y'all, y'all really got to pull something together. We'll see. On to the Panthers, as Miles Sanders is actually listed as questionable. Sanders' groin said he will be available absolutely by week one versus the Falcons. We will see. I don't know how Miles Sanders is going to do. On the Panthers, I feel like the Panthers took a bunch of random people. I mean, they had end up Thielen. They drafted a new quarterback. And it's going to be a big mix, and we'll have to see how it all plays out. I don't know how it's going to play out, but oof, I'll have to see. Unfortunately, Dante Pettis, wide receiver for the Chicago Bears, was placed on IR Friday. Courtney Cronin of the ESPN.com reports. I also saw that on the NFL's page. That's definitely a loss at the wide receiver position. I mean, I guess they still have Chase Claypool. They have them. Oh, they they just added someone, didn't they? I can't. It's not coming to mind. If I don't have the whole rosters in front of me, I can't really do, um, list off the whole things. I'm not as good with the NFL depth charts as other people. It's also because I haven't didn't buy Madden this year because Madden. I, I finally gave out. You know, giving in. I finally gave out on buying Madden. So good on me. As I mentioned, Joe Burrow questionable as of August 21st. They say he's looking great at his recovery as he's dealing with a calf strain. I hope he's able to return. I love Joe Shiesty. Very entertaining quarterback right there. Top top five, do we think? Uh, definitely top ten, but top five could be very, very ballsy. Moving on to the Broncos, one of the big ones. Jerry Judy, questionable as of August 24th. He is expected to miss several weeks, which is what is described as a moderate hamstring injury he suffered during Thursday's practice. Jerry Judy, a huge loss on an already struggling team. Mind you that Tim Patrick is on injury reserve. Um, who knows what he'll return. It is not looking good for the Broncos. Put in Jarrett Stidheim. Put in Jarrett Stidheim. On to uh, my division, my favorite division, Amon Ross St. Brown of the Lions. Listen as questionable as of August 22nd. They expect him to return to practice next week and hopefully play in the season opener. Very interesting. I, um, I definitely look at the... Uh, NFL injury status. This is on the ESPN official website. So this is all very interesting to me, seeing all the players that I thought were completely healthy that may or may not be dealing with some stuff. 
to the Houston Texans. Any interesting stuff here? I'm not really seeing any big players I could call out. Um, no, nothing really here. The Colts. I'm very interested to see how the Colts do this here. Anthony Richardson taking over at quarterback. I'm pretty sure they were the worst team last year, so it'll be interesting to see how they perform. I predict better than last year. I do predict. But um, now that I'm remembering, Jonathan Taylor is actually out at the moment. Uh, he is he is looking for a trade, but I think he is ex going to play with the team. But I don't know how that's going to affect him fantasy-wise if he's not fully committed. Because, I mean, why, why would you want a guy on your team anyways if he's not fully committed? I get you have to force him to play. But uh, still, that's just that's just annoying. Like I get you want to be paid, but I mean, just just accept that. Just accept he's a young guy. He had a terrible season last year after having an amazing season before. So don't get yourself too hyped up. On to the Raiders. One of my favorite white boys in the league, Hunter Renfro, is currently listed as questionable. He's seen um, the general manager Dave Ziegler said he's seen a lot of good stuff from Renfro, who injured his shoulder during training camp. Hopefully he can return. Hunter Renfro, always nice seeing him catch deep balls from... Who's throwing to him now? Is it um Jimmy Garoppolo? I believe so. Um, The Rams, Cooper Cup, is still questionable because of his hamstring. He said Thursday he's on track to play week one against the Seahawks. I don't know if I'm going to draft him in fantasy, though, due to how unreliable he's been because of how, how injury-prone he is. It sucks. Him, Christian McCaffrey, and even Jonathan Taylor last year, just so injury-prone. My Minnesota Vikings, Alexander Mass Madison is listed as questionable. He did not play in um, the Cardinal preseason game, but that was August 26. So hopefully he'll be back because I don't even know who our other person is. Nwangu, do we still have him on the team? Um, Kenny Nwangu, oh, he's also, he did not play in the preseason loss to the Tennessee Titans in our first preseason game. I don't know what's going on with with our um, with our team. Uh, TJ Hawkinson said Wednesday that if Hawkinson makes practice due to lower back stiffness, he should play in week one. Ugh, I don't like hearing all this. I, I like when the Vikings are perfectly healthy, but this is our year. I'm telling everyone this is our year. The Vikings are winning the Super Bowl. I'm calling it. I call it every year, and it's been, I'm calling it this year. So I'd be like the Browns. Browns fans get tattoos that this is their year. Maybe that should be me. The New England Patriots going to be an interesting team this year. Mike Gesicki's on the team now. He's listed as questionable. He um, he did not play during Sunday's uh, Saturday's game or Sunday's practice, according to Phil Perry of NBC Sports Boston reports. Yeah, yeah. Mike will be back. He is very unreliable and fancy. I would I would not rock with him. Taysom Hill is questionable. He suffered a minor oblique strain during practice. Should play by week one if they even give him touches. The Jets, Brees Hall questionable, Dalvin Cook questionable. Ah, they'll be fine. I don't know how they're going to do on touches, though, because Brees Hall and Dalvin Cook could both be starting running backs, so maybe going to be competing for some reps. It'll be interesting to see what... Um, who's the head coach? Is it Saleh? I think it's Saleh, but honestly, I bet Aaron Rodgers is going to be calling more of the shots. It's his team now. It's, I mean, he's probably going to say it's his city, so we'll see. Um, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Mike Evans, is currently questionable as of August 27th. He said that, um, Todd Bowles said that uh, Evans has been dealing with a groin injury. Hopefully he can return. Ryan Jensen, still on injured reserve, the center for the Buccaneers, the GM, told reporters Saturday that Jensen has been placed on injured reserve and will miss the Buccaneers' 2023 campaign. Oh my gosh, Ryan Jensen out for the year. That's a huge loss on the offensive line. Oh, I did not even realize that. I thought he was just out for a bit. That is, that is sucky. That really does suck. 
Um, Washington Commanders, Chase Young currently questionable because of his neck. He's visiting a doctor Friday to determine whether he can be cleared for contact. Oh my gosh, all the stars. All the stars getting hurt and such. Man, I, I'm going to end it there. This is this is getting all depressing with all these injuries. Um, it's going to be certainly very interesting to see how the season plays out. Per- personally, I'm just excited to watch the Vikings play. And we'll be we'll be talking about a plentiful more of NFL content when we have our next few guests on. They're all NFL um, experts of sorts. <laughs> I'll, I'll call them NFL experts. I'll gas them up. But I also love watching the, the uh, Vikings play, and I'll be watching every single game. And let's just say we'll be having a little fun every single game. We're going we're gonna to be um, making the best of it. So moving on to our next topic is Dana White's Contender Series. Season 7, Episode 4 goes down tomorrow, Tuesday, August 29th. Wow, already the 29th of August coming to an end. I believe Thursday is the final day. But yes, this is the 60th episode of Dana White's Contender Series. Man, it's produced... The most notable name right now is Sean O'Malley from the first season. It's on season seven, and man, it's it's so much fun to watch. It's also UFC on a Tuesday, basically. I mean, not big names, but certainly fighters that are very entertaining. So, without ado, let's dive in. There are five fights. I will say, give give you a bit about them, and then I will give my predictions because I gotta pick every single fight. It's it's just what I do. It's just what I do. So, starting us off, we have Bolaji, the Zulu warrior Oki, taking on Dylan Salvador. Wow. Bolaji Oki is 7-1. and one. Dylan is 5-1. and one. Oboji's got an inch in height on him and four inches in reach. Bolaji Oki, 27-year-old from Belgium, currently on a seven-fight win streak. Um, in his professional career, of his seven victories, four knockouts, one submission. Good stuff from Balaji. Um, plus, I mean, he started off his career 0-1, and, and now he's won his last seven. Got some momentum coming with him. And he's coming from Belgium. And I think I have listeners on this podcast from Belgium. Shout out to my Belgium listeners. Balaji may be your boy. He'll be taking on Dylan Salvador. Dylan is from France, 30 years old. He's actually a former Muay Thai kickboxer. He has a whole um, Wikipedia page dedicated to him. Lots of info for me to look at. Four submissions and a knockout of his five MMA victories. Currently on a two-fight win streak. Most notably, he beat Giga Chikadze in a kickboxing match in 2017. For those that don't know, Giga actually won this weekend on UFC Singapore. And I believe, is he the number nine ranked Men's featherweight in the world, he is probably moving up to the number eight position come um, come Tuesday. So if I just look at this, Boji has a tiny bit of um, height, bit of reach, um, but I'm actually gonna go with Dylan Salvador via round one knockout due to his Muay Thai background. He, but the weird thing that was getting me was the submissions. So I think that. I'm going to go knockout because of the Muay Thai, but the submission threat to Balaji could be in trouble. So I'll be going with Balaji. Um, no, I'm not going with Balaji. I'm going with Dylan Salvador. Balaji will be in trouble. <laughs> um, This is going down in the lightweight division, a division that is <sighs> needs a change in the guard. So if you guys can make an impact in your um, Dan White's Contender Series fight, then welcome to the UFC, brother. Welcome to the UFC. Moving on to a heavyweight matchup between Thomas Peterson and Chandler Cole. Thomas is seven and one. Chandler Cole ten and three. Thomas six foot one, two hundred sixty four pounds, takes on Chandler Cole, 
who's five foot ten, so he's got what is that? Three inches in height and two inches in reach. Seventy-four to seventy-two. Thomas Peterson is from Farmington, Minnesota. Twenty-eight years old. He's on a two-fight win streak. His only loss in his career is to Waldo's Cortez Acosta in 2022. If no one knows who Waldo is, he just got a huge knockout on UFC Singapore. So without a doubt, Thomas, seven knockouts of his seven victories. He's from Minnesota. I'm, all, I'm going with him. We'll, we'll honestly go with him by round one knockout just to do it. And I'm saying that right now. We got to root for our Minnesota boys. It's rare you see someone. Last person I remember, Brock Lesnar. I'm just joking. I've seen other people. But you know what I'm saying? Um, His opponent, Chandler, Chandler Cole. From Virginia, 28 years old of his 10 wins, 8 by knockout, 2 by submission, currently on a 3-fight win streak. He actually has a loss to Ante Delija in the PFL in 2021. That was the fighter who actually won the whole thing, I believe, or he either was the runner-up or something. Ante Delija, a notable PFL name, so not a bad loss to have for Chandler Cole. But man, I got root for my Minnesota boy, Thomas Peterson. Thomas the train Peterson, Chandler the hammer Cole. I think a train beats a hammer. That's my reason. That's that's my reasoning right there. Hey, heavyweights. We'll take heavyweights to the UFC. We're definitely lacking at heavyweights. I think on the active roster, they have under 40 heavyweights. For for like reference, Bantamweight and Lightweight, they had off the charts so many names. I couldn't even count them up. So heavyweight needs some fighters. Moving on to our third fight of the evening, we have Timothy Twilight Kuamba taking on Mateo Carapato Vogel. Timothy is 6-1. and one. Mateo is 8-2. and two. Um, Timothy has an inch in height, same reach, same weight. Timothy from Las Vegas, a young 24 years old of his six wins, three by knockout, other by decision, three fight win streak for him for Timothy. With only one loss as career, very impressive. Mateo is from Ottawa, Canada, 27 years old. He's got a knockout and five subs of his eight victories. He's on a three-fight win streak, too. He actually holds a win over Garrett Armfield by submission. Garrett picked up a win on UFC Singapore, so I just find it crazy, the correlations to the card we just had. But um, he also has a loss to Damon Blackshear, who fought on UFC 292, also fought, fought the weekend before at... Um, UFC Vegas, Luque versus Dos Anjos. So that's not a bad loss. He lost by decision, too, so we didn't even put him away. I like the spirit from Mateo. I'm going to give him a um, decision victory over Timothy. Mateo's already fought some good competition. He's got a bit more experience. And he's from Canada, and we need Canadian fighters in the UFC. Because I'm also hearing rumors that the January pay-per-view for the UFC will be in Canada, which is super good. I love I love the Canadians. They um, got done bad with UFC 289. I mean, they got to see Charles Oliveira, uh, Mike Mallett. But other than that, a pretty dull card. So, Mateo, I will be riding with you. This is a featherweight division, too. So, you can easily add some more featherweights to the UFC. Moving into our co-main event, if you want to call it that unofficially. We have, ooh, this is a good one. Yuzuri Babyface Assassin Belgorai versus Marco Matuto Tulio. Wow, that makes my mouth dry from uh, reading all that. Yuzri, 5-2. Marco, 9-1. Yuzri has 5 inches in height, 6 foot 5 to 6 foot. He's also got 5 inches in reach, 79 inches to 74. Wow, Yuzri, guys, let me tell you about this guy. He is from Amsterdam, from the Netherlands. He is a kickboxing legend. He has fought in 
all sorts of promotions. He holds a decision win over Alex Pajera in kickboxing. He also holds two losses to him too. So he has fought Alex Pajera a number of times. He also holds a split decision loss to Adesanya. He's lost twice to Adesanya, both by decision. Currently on a two-fight MMA win streak. And of his five um, MMA victories, um, four of those by knockout. Very impressive stuff from Yuzri. He certainly looked very um, very good when I saw some of his uh, kickboxing highlights. We'll see how he does in the MMA world. He takes on Marco Matuto Tulio, who's from South Paulo, Paulo, Brazil. 28 years old, fights out of Diego Lima's gym down there. Of his nine victories, six by knockout, one by sub. Currently on a five-fight win streak. Very impressive stuff. Even though Yuzri stole um, Brandon Moreno's nickname, Babyface Assassin, we're going with Yuzri. He's got the height. He's got the reach. He's got the experience. I would love to see him in the UFC. He's also in the middleweight division. So imagine if we could see a rematch with him or Pereira or him versus Asagi one day. Oh, he has a lot of climbing to do. Those will certainly be very interesting. And just for the shock factor, since last week I called Zach Reese by submission, and that was a huge hit. We're going by Usury by submission, just because it'd be an insane hit on the betting odds. I'm not going to bet, but if you genetics freaks want to wanna bet, go for it. Go for it. But um, we'll be rocking with Usury over Marco Tulio. And then we're into our final fight, the main event, if you want to call it that. Mitch, does Mitch have a nickname? Mitch Ramirez versus Carlos Prates. Carlos the Nightmare Prates. Ooh. Mitch Ramirez is 7-0. Carlos Prates 16-6. Mitch has, ooh, it's Carlos with two inches in height. Six foot one to five eleven. Oh my gosh. Carlos has seven inches in reach. 78 inches to 71. Wow. Just wow. Mitch Ramirez is from Utah, 30 years old. Of his seven victories, four by knockout, two by submission with a decision. He was actually ejected from the Ultimate Fighter 31 this past season by uh, Conor McGregor because Conor wanted to bring on his boy Lee Hammond. So he said goodbye to uh, Mitch Ramirez, which did not make Mitch happy, but uh, the UFC didn't care. They were like, yeah, Conor, you do whatever you want. We don't care about Mitch Ramirez, but I'm happy they gave him a shot. I'm happy he's back on the Contender Series and he can show his stuff. As for Carlos Prates, 16-6 and six professional record. He's from Sao Paulo, Brazil, 30 years old. 11 knockouts, 3 subs. He's on a 6-fight win streak. Whew. This guy's got much more experience than Mitch. Um, he's very talented. I saw the gym he trained out of. He, there wasn't any big names, but it was a big gym. Down in Sao Paulo? I can't recall the name, unfortunately. But I will be riding with Carlos Prates just due to his seven inches in reach. He's got a bit of height. He's got way more experience. He's on a huge win streak. I'll be riding with Carlos Prates, but all the luck to Mitch Ramirez. I will not be mad if I get any of these fights wrong because, personally, I'm, I'm just happy that I'm getting UFC. So I'm not going to complain if some of the fights don't go my way. So, yeah, that's uh, Dana White's Contender Series. Um, episode four of this season, the 60th installment, if you will. We're picking Dylan Salvador over Bellagio Key. We're picking Thomas Peterson, Minnesota boy, over Chandler Cole. We're picking Mateo Vogel over Timothy Kuamba. We're picking Yuzuri Belgoray over Marco Tulio. And we're picking Carlos Prates over Mitch Ramirez. The, the um, final fight is happening in the welterweight division. By the way, all of these fights go down in the UFC apex for no one that knows. So it is kind of, actually, I do like it, this 
them doing Apex events for this because it feels more small brand. You can hear the shots more. However, I do not like that they do um, big, big events. Like, I mean, they're having Matus Gamrot versus Rafael Faziv in the Apex. That is a card that should be in an arena. But I don't make the decisions, guys. So don't don't shoot me. Don't shoot the messenger. I'm just telling y'all what I think. But, I mean, it's been a while since COVID. I feel like Dana could pump arenas full. They used to do arena shows for every single fight night. How can they not do it now? I don't know. That That's just me being salty, but there's that. Moving on to our surprise topic. I was trying to debate what to do next. I figured I should end with my recap of UFC Singapore since that was so much fun. Let's rank Marvel Phase 1 movies. I mean, I'm... One episode, I think I'm going to commit to ranking all 32 Marvel movies if I can get that done by November before the Marvels comes out. But I'm giving the TV shows no time of day. I do like Loki. Loki super entertaining. But Secret Wars was so boring after the first two episodes, I couldn't even continue. I might just Google all the exciting stuff that's happened. There's that. But yes, Marvel Phase 1, the easiest phase to rank. I mean... Ranking phase two and three and four does sound kind of fun, and ranking five of sorts would be fun. But um, I'm very excited to rank these movies. I have seen probably probably the, my top four so many times because I had them on DVD, watched them all the time. Uh, those movies we're going to get to. I've watched The Guardians of the Galaxy a lot, the Avengers movies, Ant-Man, all the Thor movies. There's just so many classic Marvel movies. They've been getting kind of um, kind of interesting of late, but that's why we reminisce on the past, because there's good movies in the past. I also got to finish The Sopranos. I, I'm like on season five, episode eight. I just I stopped watching for the summer because during the summer I wasn't really in TV show mode and I kind of forgot everything that happened, but I don't want to go back and rewatch everything. So anyways, we'll get to that. But there are six movies in phase one of Marvel they stretch from 2008 to 2012. This is what kicked off, as we know, the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So many good films. Let's dive in to my number six. You know, you guys can get your own papers out, rank along with me. But my number six movie is The Incredible Hulk. That is right, is at the bottom of all of my lists because it just simply does not feel like an MCU movie. It feels like an offshoot of sorts, a bit darker tone. Different gra- different CGI for the Hulk. The only way it correlates to the MCU is because of an end credit scene. And I guess they also throw like an Easter egg in with like some of Stark's technology. But yes, Ed Norton, he gave a decent performance, but Ed Norton has definitely had much better roles. They also did not bring him back or he didn't want to resign. I don't know what happened there, but Ed Norton did not come back. They gave it over to Mark Ruffalo, who Mark Ruffalo was a very good Bruce Banner. I don't know if he was a good Hulk. And I guess you don't really need an actor for Hulk. You can just CGI him. But just was not the best movie. I It's good, good final fight scene between them, Hulk and Abomination. Very good for CGI, being full CGI. But definitely, definitely at the bottom of all my MCU lists. And this was an easy pick. I didn't even think twice about this. I just wrote Hulk at the bottom. And it came out in 2008. It was the second MCU movie. So glad we were able to rebound. Because if it went from Iron Man to Hulk... And then Hulk, Hulk could have ruined this whole thing. I'm glad they kept pumping more Iron Mans out. Which moves me into my number five movie of Marvel Phase 1, which is Iron Man 2. I mean, it replaced Don Cheadle with... um, It replaced Terrence Howard with Don Cheadle as... Uh, oh, gosh, what's his name? 
a war machine. I, his name's not coming to me. Tony Stark's best friend. Uh, just just a good movie. Kind of Tony Stark and his father. That whole good dynamic. I personally like the Tony Stark part of this. I don't like the whiplash villain part. That part sucks. The uh, the racing scene is cool, but after that, the villain's just really kind of crappy. Justin Hammer's kind of entertaining. Pepper Potts, you gotta love. You gotta love Pepper Potts. Um, who else? Happy, super good. They introduced Black Widow. Phil Coles. Uh, does Phil make an appearance in this? I know he's in the first Iron Man. I don't know if he's in this one. But man, Iron Man 2, not the best film, but certainly not as bad as people say it is. I've rewatched it. And it's actually kind of bearable. It's just much more egotistical Iron Man of sorts. And then he sort of finds his way. But that's just who Tony Stark's character is in the movies. But hey, you know, Iron Man 2. It's it's not the worst sequel out there. That's what that's for sure. Moving into my number four movie of Marvel Phase One, Thor. That's right, the original Thor. Chris Hemsworth as Thor. Tom Hiddleston as Loki. You have Jeremy Renner being introduced as Hawkeye. Natalie Portman as Jane. I think in the opening shots and just all around, this is the best Asgard we get because this just makes Asgard look so expansive and just never ending. And right when we hit Thor The Dark World, it shrinks it down. And then we hit Thor Ragnarok, and it's even more shrunk down. This Asgard is just massive, and um, is a, I, I honestly, I've seen this movie so many times, I just like it so much. It's, it's much more, Thor doesn't have his powers for a lot of it, so it's tough to judge by it. The Frost Giants, they're that menacing of a villain. It's like, Loki's the villain, but then he's like, he's still Loki, and plus, Tom Hiddleston just played such a good Loki. It was hard to hate him. But Thor was super fun. And I, I enjoyed the girl from New Girl. Not New Girl. Um, Oh, what's it called? Two two broke friends. Two, oh, Jane's friend in the movie. I can't think of her freaking name. But that is what it is. And we also get Sam L. Jackson as Nick Fury. Who doesn't love a little Sam L. Jackson? But yes, Chris Hemsworth. Uh, out of all the Thors, this is somehow not the worst. But it's also not the best. It may be the number out of the four Thors. It may be the number two or three Thor. But hey, it was early MCU. We'll, we'll give it a pass. Moving into our top three movies of Marvel Phase 1. There are only six movies. So I mean, nothing to really say. Oh, top three. But my number three is Captain America, the first Avenger. I, I will never forget watching this when I was little. And I was so confused at the ending. I was like, wait. He, he was just in 1945, World War II, and now he's in modern day. What? I never understood that until I actually got older, which I thought was funny. This is a very good origin story. Probably one of the best origin stories. Top five, I would say. Chris Evans gives such a good Captain America. I can't even picture anyone else as Captain America. Chris Evans played him so well. Taken from this scrawny kid to this just jack guy. Runs around beating Nazis. He also has heart. Red Skull's an actually good villain. We introduce the, an Infinity Stone. This correlates to the Thor movie somehow. This correlates to... This is the movie before the Avengers. So this was your appetizer before the main dish of Avengers. Such a good film. And I love the World War II aspect. I'm a big history nerd. I really like enjoying reading about history of sorts. World War II, World War I, all the wars, Korean War, Vietnam War. So when they, even, when they do a little stuff about World War II, I find that very interesting. The Nazis and stuff. But I was always confused about how... Like this, Hitler still exists, but then Red Skull's a big villain. It was, it was, I never really understood that storyline, but I suppose it doesn't matter. But Captain America, the first Avenger, not the, honestly, 
the the Captain America movies just got better with each film, with each film, and yeah, Captain America kicked us off pretty good. Moving into my number two, I was torn between two and one, but I went with, I probably went with the majority decisions, but I was only weighing this on phase one. In my full movie rankings, I'm pretty sure I actually have this movie ahead of my number one, but simply for this list, I had to do it about what was going on at the time when these movies were coming out, sort of the hype for them, how they actually delivered. But my number two is what kicked us all off. Iron Man, the original Iron Man, Robert Downey Jr. giving an amazing performance. He was worried that no one would ever think of him as another actor after performing in this movie. I mean, I certainly can't unsee him as Iron Man, but I don't think of um, him as Tony Stark. I think of him as Robert Downey Jr., but Tony Stark, he plays that role perfectly. This this is the best suit. The CGI in this movie looks better than modern day Marvel movies, even some other shows. The suit just looks so real, authentic. I, I actually, it, when you watch it, you honestly may think at times this looks real. Such a good origin story for him. This giant billionaire. So I mean, he has all this money, builds his own suit. Obadiah Stane is such a good, such a good villain. We introduce Happy. We introduce Phil Coulson. They're already talking about Shield in this movie. Don't, me, don't even get me started on the end credit scene, which I didn't see for years because I had no idea it existed. I mean, no one even thought of end credit scenes at that point. It was unheard of. Marvel delivered that, and Robert Downey Jr. delivered. Man, it's crazy. He went from this playboy of sorts to a loving character who we still love to this day. His arc throughout all these films is honestly one of the greatest arcs in fiction. Robert Downey Jr., Toy Stark, Iron Man. Amazing. So yeah, without a doubt, we already know what my number one movie is of Phase 1. That's The Avengers. But as I was saying, I honestly like Iron Man more. I just think Iron Man is one of the most realistic films. Somehow, as goofy as that sounds, that's just how I view it. But yes, my number one movie is The Avengers. It combined Hulk. It combined Thor, Captain America, Iron Man, Black Widow. Well, who am I forgetting? Hawkeye. Just... An, an unheard of team up. I mean, when this movie first came out, I'm, I, I, I didn't watch those out on DVD. I didn't even know about the MCU at that point. I think I was like nine years old. How old was I in 2012? I was 10 years old. Actually, I was probably nine when this movie came out. But man, it was unheard of to do a team up movie like that. And they pulled it off. It's actually one of the most rewatchable MCU movies. Actually, when I watch it, I forget scenes happened at times. The, uh, the grouping up of all the heroes, super good. They introduced them all very well. The loss of Phil Coulson was a shocker, really draws you in. Loki was such a good villain. He was actually villainous in this role. And then we get the post-credit tease of Thanos introducing the big bad of the MCU. I'm, Kang, Kang is nowhere near the level that Thanos was. We were scared of Thanos as the audience. It was the Avengers such a good movie. That final battle scene is probably the best battles, probably the top three best battle scenes. It is so good. The... the what I love about Phase 1 is that the CGI is not bad. Besides, we'll, we'll throw the Hulk out of there, but the CGI is very good in the first Phase 1 of Marvel. It looks believable, I will say, if you want to call it that. But man, the Avengers, super good. Def better than the second Avengers, not better than the third or fourth Avengers. And I guess we'll see how it compares to future Avengers films to come. It's oof, very interesting. I, I, was, I was just like... Can't even comprehend how they've been able to do this. They've built a franchise out of nothing. And there will never be... Uh, will the MCU ever end? That's the question I should be asking. Will the MCU ever end? I should put that on the uh, Spotify 
for the under underneath. When you listen to this episode, let me know. Will the MCU ever end? Because, man, I don't think it will. I think it's too big to fail. I mean, they're already at phase five. They're on phase five right now. It's, it's, it's crazy. We have the Marvels coming out. Um, I don't really know about everything else, but I'll have to look at them. We'll have to jot that down for next episode. But yes, next episode, we're going to be ranking phase two. We'll do phase three in the next, phase four, and then we'll talk about phase five. Because it, it's, I love the Marvel movies, and I've kind of been, I haven't seen any as of late. The last one I saw was Guardians, which was a while ago. But man, phase one, those were good times. Those were good times. I remember during COVID, I rewatched every single Marvel movie. Or maybe it was actually, actually, it wasn't even during COVID. It was before, it was between Infinity War and Endgame. And phase one, it was so enjoyable. It didn't feel like a chore. It's when you get into the phase two and three movies that starts to feel like a bit of a chore. But man, so, such good times. Such good times. So yes, we'll be back next week with phase two. which will, That's actually going to be fun. Not, ne- not next week, maybe. Maybe I'll do next episode. We'll see. In the next two episodes to come, you'll have uh, phase two rankings. Moving on, an NFL note I forgot to touch on is that the Texans officially named C.J. Strode as their starter in week one versus the Ravens. C.J. Strode, the number two pick out of Ohio State. Wasn't C.J. Strode from Ohio State? Um, Texans definitely always rotating quarterbacks. I forgot to mention that. I had it written down, and I didn't. So there you go. C.J. Strode will be back. Should I I pick him up in fantasy? Should I rock with C.J. Strode in week one? I don't know. I doubt it. NFL, and uh, if we did an NFL and MCU Marvel, if we did an MCU, NFL and Marvel collab on jerseys, those, those would look sick. You know how they do throwback jerseys in the NFL? If they did Marvel jerseys, those would look super cool. I'm trying to think the Vikings could do like Thanos-themed. Uh, the Packers could do Hulk-themed. The Who's a red, who's a red and blue team? The, um, gosh, I, I don't even... I don't even know. Is there a red and blue team in the NFL? The Patriots. The Patriots could be Captain America themed. <laughs> I don't know. Just throwing ideas out there. I, I actually need a new NFL jersey. I've had this Harrison Smith jersey for like five years now. It's super worn out. I honestly might buy one before the season starts. I, I, I don't really like buying new jerseys though because everyone's got a JJ jersey. Everyone's got a... Actually, JJ is pretty much the only jersey people have. Harrison Smith, another popular one, but... Man, I don't know. Maybe Kirk Cousins. I feel like I feel like Kirk O'Chains always has people wearing his jersey. But anyways, moving on from NFL to MCU to Daniel's Contender Series, we finally land on my favorite part of every episode. We're either previewing or we're recapping, and we are going to recap UFC Singapore Fight Night, Holloway versus the Korean Zombie. Wow, this was an amazing event. I had so much fun with it. I can't wait. I can't wait to talk about it. I'm going to take a quick intermission. This won't be any time for you guys. It'll just be me going to do stuff for a bit. But um, when I get back, UFC Singapore recap. And we have returned. As always, you may be like, what did I do? Well, I literally just like went to the restroom and grabbed something to drink. But yes, UFC Singapore went down this past Saturday. It was amazing. One of the best fight nights, especially main events we've had so far of the year. A lot of fights to recap. We'll talk about maybe some updates in the rankings. Let's dive into it. For starters, I go 5-1 and one on the main card for my predictions. Super happy about that. As for the prelims, I go 4-3. and three. So yes, 5-1 and one main card, which was 
I'm very, very psyched about that. <laughs> I was very happy. And the only one I guess strong, I did not agree with the decision. Anyways, we start off the night with Sung Woo Choi taking on Jarno Aarons. Sung Woo Choi picked up his first win since June of 2021. He snapped a three-fight losing streak which is win with his win over Jarno Aarons, who now falls to 0-2 in the UFC. A competitive fight from start to finish. Round one, competitive. Sung Woo Choi outlanding Jarno by a bit. Jarno goes over to on takedowns. Sung Woo Choi manages to get almost a minute of control time. Then round two, Jarno drops Sung Woo Choi and it turns Sung Woo Choi into Sung Woo Nagomedov as he grapples him, landing two and a half minutes of control time off of one takedown. Round three comes around though and Sung Woo Choi drops Jarno, which would give him the 29-28s across the board. Even a 30-27 from Ben Cartledge. You'd love to see it. I was very happy that Sung Woo Choi was able to get a victory here, not only in a close-to-hometown forum, I believe he is from Korea, so Singapore pretty close. But yes, he will not be moving up the featherweight rankings yet. He'll, uh, he'll need to rebuild, but very happy Sung Woo Choi was able to get a win here. Good job to him. Next up, J.J. Aldrich beats Liang Na. Round two, TKO on the ground with elbows. J.J. Aldrich snapping a two-fight losing strike here. Strike streak and getting her first finish in the UFC. Very happy for Liang Na. Na, Na falls to 0-3 in the UFC, but finished in all three of those fights. Liang Na goes three for four on takedowns, and I'm pretty sure every single one got reversed by JJ Aldrich. As JJ finished with five minutes and 11 seconds of control time after not landing a single takedown. But yes, in round two, she outlanded Liang Na 50 total strikes to six. Oof, good stuff from JJ Aldrich. This was in the women's flyweight division. So good for you, JJ. Rebuild, maybe work your way towards a ranked opponent. It's a good place to start. As for Liang Na, she's clearly not UFC ready despite being 19 and seven professionally. Kick her out of the UFC. Kick her out. I want no part of her. Moving in to our, what is this, third fight of the prelims. Billy Goff knocks out Yusaku Kinoshita in round number one. Three minutes and 49 seconds in. He was outlanding him from the get-go. 43 total strikes to 17. And this will be Billy Goff's oh, first UFC win. He got a round one finish on the Contender Series last year. And now he's got himself a UFC victory, improving to 9-2. and two. As for Yusaku Kinoshita, after winning on the Contender Series last year, he now has been knocked out in round one twice to Adam Fujit and Billy Goff. Happy for you, Billy. Good win. This is in the welterweight division, which, I mean... You know, if you if you can string together a couple round one knockouts, you can work your way up. I mean, Jack Delamalena's worked his way into the rankings. Ian Gary, uh, Sean Brady's up there. You got Tomza Chamayev, Shafkat. You got a lot of stars. Good job, Billy. Sticking in the welterweight division, Sog Kidad beats Rolando Bedoya. I cannot believe this, by the way. Rolando Bedoya has now outlanded both of his UFC opponents and lost decisions, but I feel happy for Song Kinan. Song had been on a two-fight losing streak, been knocked out in both of them, hadn't gotten a win since February of 2020, and he got a big one here. Round one and two. Rolando outlanding him. Very competitive, though. Song probably taking round two after Rolando won round one. But then Song drops Rolando in round number three. Even though he got outlanded, he still managed to, to, to improve. Impress the judges is the word I was looking for. 
song the assassin kinan beats rolando the machine but doya good job to song ki nong snapping a two fight losing streak i mean man good to see him good to, and he has all the tools to be a world eh, a world champion a ranked fighter of sorts he just needs to apply them and make sure he doesn't get caught because max griffin and ian gary they do hit hard but there's people that hit harder than them those are two guys who knocked out song kinan if no one knows as for Rolando, get Rolando a lesser ranked name. I mean, he he clearly can hang in the UFC. He's just immaculate bad luck. Moving into our first performance bonus of the night. This this one did catch me a bit off guard. I thought Chidi Ninchukani could do it, but Michael Kajasek knocks him out. Four minutes and 16 seconds into round number one. Drops him. Oh, yeah, he did drop him. He landed a takedown, then landed some ground and pound. Oh, I was looking at someone else's stats. Michael finishes him on the ground with a little uh, ground and pound, improving Olika Jacek to. Oh, he snapped a. He lost to Kyle Barallo earlier this year, but he is three and one. His last four fights, good for him. As for Chidi, he is now on a three-fight losing streak. Oh gosh, I hate to see it, Chidi. I don't know how much longer you're gonna be around if you keep losing like that. But good on you, Michael. Good on you. I like it. I like it. All right. Let's move into a name we actually mentioned earlier on the podcast as someone who had been beaten on the Contender Series, but he was not to be beaten here. Garrett Armfield picks up his first UFC victory over Toshiyama Kaizama. You like, can tell I like, his, like that name. Four minutes and 16 seconds into round number one, he TKOs him after dropping him with a punch. I find this crazy. Back-to-back round one TKOs. At the 4 minute and 16 minute mark from Garrett Armfield and Michael Olkajasek. That's just a crazy stat. Numbers don't lie. Numbers are crazy. Good job to Garrett. As for Toshami, after um, winning on the road to UFC 1, he is yet to get a win. And those losses are to Ring Ringya Nakamura, who's an absolute savage. And Garrett Armfield, who, I don't know if Garrett's a savage, but he is certainly pretty good. If you can get a victory, happy for you, Garrett. Good job. And then we got to our final prelim of the night as Waldo Cortez Acosta. This is just as I was coming downstairs from waking up. Knocks out Lucas Prezijic. Three minutes into round one. It was crazy. He absolutely dropped him, landed a couple other punches. But man, happy for Waldo. Improving to 10 and 1 in his career. Salsa Boy is his nickname. He improves to 3 and 1 now in the UFC, including a contender series knockout. And he actually holds a win over, um, oh gosh, the um, the Peterson guy from the Contender Series who's fighting um, from Minnesota. He that's the guy who um, this is the guy who beat him. Um, while Waldo only, only loss is to Marcos Rodriguez de Lima via grappling, who's currently in the number fourteen heavyweight. I would personally rank Waldo at fifteen. I really like him. Happy he got a win. Man, it was exciting. He was going crazy. And um, as for Lucas, you're now zero and three in the UFC. After winning on the Contender Series two years ago. Lucas the Bull Brzezicki. You may be getting kicked out of the UFC. But Waldo. Man, I've, I want to see Waldo versus Martin Boudet. I know he called him out. Maybe maybe Alexander Rome. Actually, Alexander Romanoff got a win. I want to see guys face Derek Lewis to maybe move up the rankings. But I also don't want to see Waldo get knocked out. But good good on you, Waldo. Happy you got it done. Keep on moving. We, we love the heavyweights. The heavyweights are always so fun. Man, those were the prelims. 
Out of the seven prelims, only two went the distance. If it was up to me, I would have given a performance bonus to Waldo and to probably, prior to Waldo, I mean, JJ and Billy and Garrett, they were all good. And I guess Michael looked at J6 was impressive, but Waldo, man, three minutes in, dropped it with a big punch. The crowd was going crazy. It's a shame he didn't get a performance bonus. Let's move into the six-fight main card. As I've already said, I went five and one on picks. I was so happy. We kicked off the night with a interesting one as Junior Taffa took on Parker Porter. Parker had previously been knocked out by Junior's older brother, Justin, and Junior said, let me one-up ya, and knocked him out as well. Junior Taffa gets his first UFC victory, proves the five and one, and knocks out Parker Porter. Literally flat lines him right in front of him, <laughs> makes a face plant. It was awesome. Junior the juggernaut Taffa. Uh, so happy he was able to get a win. As for Parker Porter, he's now one and three his last four fights. Now, to be fair, um, Parker Porter losing to Junior Taffa, it was bad. I mean, he also lost to Justin Taffa, who's so super talented, Halton Almeida, and Chris Dacus. But he does hold four, four wins in the UFC. So he is four and four. I say we give him one more make or break it fight. But Junior Taffa, super happy to have him in the UFC. This kid's only um, 26 years old, so he'll be around for a bit. You got him and Justin Taffa. Let's get them on a card together. Please, Junior and Justin on a card. That'd be amazing for their family. But yeah, he gets a performance bonus, and it was well deserved. Very happy for you, Junior. You're not really ready for a ranked opponent, but I mean, we did have Waldo Cortez Acosta win. Uh, that could be a good fight. I, I kind of like the both, so I want them to fight, but good on you, Junior. Good on you. But let's get into our first ranked competitors of the night. We had four fights with ranked competitors. This was our first as Talia Santos took on Aaron Blanchfield. These were these were the um, number three and number four women in the flyweight division. Actually, Aaron Blanchfield was number seven in the pound for pound with Talia Santos at 11 for the women's pound for pound. And Aaron Blanchfield gets the unanimous decision. I completely agreed. It was competitive. It was very competitive. Aaron did go 0 for 14 on takedowns. Talia did go for three, but eight minutes of clinch control time for Aaron. She out significant strikes Talia 61 to 55. She out total strikes Talia 119 to 96. Round one, I gave to Aaron. Round two to, to Aaron. Actually, round one, I think I gave to Talia Santos. And then round two to Aaron. Round three, definitely Aaron. Aaron Blanchfield. Doing good work. Um, definitely deserves a title shot next. I completely agree with it. And I think she should... I don't know if she should pass Manon Fiorot since Manon's fighting this upcoming weekend. Manon Fiorot's the currently number two ranked women's flyweight. But, um, yeah, Talia Santos, I don't think she should drop a spot. Maybe in the women's... No, not even in the women's pound for pound. I'd even put Aaron Blanchfield up a spot or two in the women's uh, pound for pound rankings. But... Aaron improves to 12-1 and in her MMA career, 6-0 and in the UFC. This is her biggest win to date. Very, actually, the Jessica Andrade win was pretty big, but good job on Aaron. As for Talia Santos, two top decision losses. I mean, she defended all the takedowns. If this was a five-round fight, it might have gone differently, but it wasn't. Aaron managed her gas tank well. I mean, turned it on late when she needed to, and I think she's title shot ready. I'm happy to see what's next for her. Uh, moving on, I mean, wow, I was very happy for Aaron Blanchfield, personally because I picked her to win and because she won. Rinya Nakamura fought Fern Garcia, and can I just say, 
Fern Garcia, you are one tough SOB. He is so tough. He may be on a three-fight losing streak down the UFC, but, man, he refused to go away. Array. Actually, yeah, he refused to go away. He, refu- he refused to go away. Rinya Nakamura absolutely laid into Fern. My goodness. Significant strikes, 36 to 15. Total strikes, 56 to 50. Kind of close. But the four for four on takedowns, nine and a half minutes of control time. I mean, round one, three minutes, 55 seconds. Round two, two and a half minutes. Round three, three minutes of control time. And the only time Rinya was ever in trouble was in round two. Fern locked on a guillotine, I believe it was. And it was not enough. Rinya knew exactly how to get out of it. Uh, we had a 36 on the 3026 on the scorecards, 327, 327. But very impressive stuff from Rinya Nakamura. He re- he improves to 8 0. And I don't know if they consider Road to UFC a part of their um, rankings, but Rinya is either 4 0 in the UFC or 2 0. Either way, incredible fighter. I'm happy to see what's next for him. He's in the bantamweight division. And honestly, I mean, any other bantamweights fight on this card? Garrett Armfield is a bantamweight. We could have them fight just because <laughs> I'm looking and see that. Um, but yeah, and as when it comes to the men's bantamweight division, it's so deep. It's hard to remember at times who's fighting. But Rinya, keep your name on him. He is a young up-and-comer. I love him, man. <laughs> he was so dense. And what was his nickname? He had a cool nickname, didn't he? Hybrid. Rinya Hybrid Nakamura. I love it. I freaking love you, Rinya. You are amazing, all right? Let's move into our top three fights. I'll stop glazing on Rinya. Giga Chikadze beats Alex Caceres by unanimous decision. This was a competitive fight. This was very competitive. Giga and Alex both giving it their all. No takedowns attempted. Classical kickboxing match. 30-27s across the board. I I could maybe see it. I personally had it um, 29-28 for Giga. I thought Giga won round um, three, and I believe I gave him round two. I believe I gave Caceres round one. But looking back at the stats, Giga narrowly um, outstruck him in round one. Alex Caceres had him by one strike in round two, and Giga had him by two strikes in round three. Such a competitive fight. Giga improves to 15-3 and three professionally, and he improves to, oh my gosh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and one in the UFC. His only loss is a fight of the night to Calvin Cater. As for Caceres, he falls to 2-2 two and two as his last four. But man, this this loss shouldn't hurt him too bad. He was currently ranked 15th. And as for Giga, he'll move up to the number 8 spot in the UFC rankings. And he wants to fight Yair Rodriguez next. I don't know if he'll get Yair. I'm honestly feeling maybe Arnold Allen as someone he could fight next. But that's just me. And as for Alex Caceres, maybe an up-and-comer like Charles Jourdain, Nathaniel Wood. Um, Leroy Murphy, um, someone in that nature, Jonathan Pierce, guys like that. But good job to um, Giga, pulling out a gritty win, man. It was it was very competitive, and he threw a rolling thunder kick to end the fight, which I thought was ballistic. I loved it. Giga, Giga was going crazy, and he had this funny fake out on the mic where he was like, "Guys, I've I've just I've been gone for so long." I just wanna, I just wanna say, say, I just wanna say something, guys. Like he was getting all emotional. And then he goes like, "Giga's effing back. Giga's the effing man. I'm coming for the belt." It was so funny. It had me laughing so hard. <laughs> Giga is a treasure, and his name's Giga. All right, we, Marab and Giga, bringing Georgian fighters back to the map. I don't know about Guram Kudalaze 
he, he's been struggling, but Giga's a, a good Georgian fighter. Let's move into this co-main event. It was the, um, it was not what I expected. I will say number eight, Anthony Smith took on number 10, Ryan Spann. Um, Anthony Smith getting a split decision victory, snapping a two-fight losing streak. As for Ryan Spann, he is now on a two-fight losing streak. When I look at it, Anthony Smith did outstrike him significantly. I mean, significant strikes, 91 to 59. Total strikes, 91 to 62. Landed a takedown, but... I mean, round one, I gave to Anthony Smith. A casual round one, he landed a takedown. Not much happened. Round two, though... Anthony got hit in the eye. Ryan Spann really should have finished the fight. I honestly will say, because Ryan Spann did not finish Anthony Smith in round two, he deserved to lose because he did not show the initiative he should have to get the victory. Round three, very odd judging that Anthony Smith outlanded him 41 to t- 45 to 27 in round number three. But it looked like Ryan Spann was getting the better of him, putting on a bit more pressure. When the judges read the scorecards, Anthony Smith got the win. And honestly, I can't be too mad. Not, not much happened in this. Not much that warranted anything. Just a dull co-main event. And unfortunately, I don't even know what to do next with these guys. I think they should both fight down. Anthony Smith should not be fighting up. I personally feel Khalil Roundtree Jr., currently ranked 11th, should take on Anthony Smith. And as for Ryan Spann, I think he should fight someone like Azamat Mirzakhanov at 12 or Alonzo Menfield at 14. I like both those fights, or even Dustin Jacoby at 15. I think those are all very good fights for those guys. But, man, I expected more from Ryan Spann. He really disappointed me. While we're while we're nulling about all this, let's get into the main event, what we all come here for every weekend, the main event, Max Holloway, Korean Zombie. It earned Fight of the Night honors, and honestly, honestly, it, it's in my Fight of the Year category just for how entertaining it was. This fight did not disappoint. Now, we'll go with the stats first. We'll go with the stats. Two knockdowns for Max Holloway, 75 significant strikes to 34. Now, in total strikes, 75 to 35 for Chan Sung Jung. Can't miss that one total strike. Um, control time, I mean, Max had one submission attempt for just under a minute of control time. And yeah, Max was doubling his strike totals over Zombie in rounds one and two. But Zombie was going for it. Zombie was throwing. It was round one, I believed. He was, it was round two. So round one was super competitive, you know, actually entertaining. But round two, Max dropped him. And then he didn't want to follow up. So he locked on such a tight, tight darts choke. It, I do not know how the Korean Zombie did not tap. It was very impressive stuff. I was very surprised with how good Zombie did. Oof. It, oh my gosh, he, he manages to get out of it, gets back to his feet, and he's still throwing, man, going out on a shield, oh man, it was so good, round two starts, all right, round two lasted 23 seconds, 23 seconds for round number three, I mean, Chad Suckjug's throwing caution to the wing, clipping Max Holloway, going at him, but Max is too good, hits him with a punch, zombie gets flatlined on the ground, knocked out cold, Max is your winner by round three knockout. Congratulations to Max Holloway, man. But Korean zombie going out on a shield like a classic Korean zombie. I could not believe Max finished him before Alexander Volkanovsky. That's very impressive because I actually had him finishing Korean zombie in round number five. Max gets it done in round number three. Super impressive stuff. Korean zombie is currently ranked eighth. I think Giga will take his spot at eight. Max was ranked number one. I mean, the men's pound-for-pound pound list, Max is ranked number 
13, I'd put him up to 11, personally. I mean, Max has just looked so good as of late. And as for Korean Zombie, this was his retirement fight. He hung up the gloves after um, after the bell was rang. And man, the crowd sang Zombie as he walked out. It was a beautiful moment. Very emotional. Shared some very good video packages about the Korean Zombie's career. And in honor of Chan Sung Jung, let's, let's go over some of his biggest wins. I mean, here's a guy who in 2013 left the UFC after losing a title shot to um, go give military service. I mean, he holds a win over Dustin Poirier. He is that fight against Air Rodriguez, historic. He's knocked out Hinato Moicano and Frankie Edgar in round one, beaten Dan Ige, put on a, a great performance against Brian Ortega, and he ended his career fighting Alexander Volkanovsky and Max Holloway, probably the top two or three featherweights of all time. Congratulations to Chan Sung Jung. I'd put him in the UFC Hall of Fame. I love him. He's a, he's an icon. I'd put him in the UFC. He also is a very good singing voice. So if you want to look up Korean Zabi's singing, look that up. He's beautiful. Let's talk about Max. He's now on a two-fight losing streak since, gosh, we could even go all the way back to 2013. He His only losses in, the, in his career have been to Dustin Poirier twice, Alexander Volkanovsky three times, Dennis Bermudez and Conor McGregor. I mean, Volk, I mean, Holloway, I should say, has only lost to the best as of late. Since since 2019, he's lost to Poirier Volkanovsky. That's it. All right. He's beaten Calvin Cater. He's beaten Yair Rodriguez. He's beaten Ronald Allen. And now he's beaten Chan Sung Jung. He's on a two fight win streak now. Both excellent performances. Since 2021, he's 4 and 1. And he's campaigning for a fourth shot against Alexander Volkanovsky. Okay. How does he get that shot? Well, Max currently holds wins over the number two, three, four, seven, and eight fighters. That Chancellor Jung will probably be kicked off, but he could potentially fight number five, Ia Topira, or number what I believe to be eight, Giga Chikadze. Now, I do think Giga would get very badly beaten up. I don't know if the UFC would do that just because of how non-competitive it would be, and they might want to build Giga up. And as for Iatopura, they might want to save him to just straight up fight Alexander Volkanovsky next. Number six, Josh Emmett is apparently dropping, or not dropping, moving up to lightweight. And fighters like Mosvar Evloff, Bryce Mitchell, Soik Yusuf, they're all too far down the rankings to even be considered. So what do we do? What do we do with Max Holloway? Well, Al Jermaine Sterling did mention moving up. You could potentially do that fight. I think it would be a good grappling test for Max. Now, I do think that Aljamain's chin would easily give out, but, you know, we could easily look past that. And if he were to fight a lightweight, a BMF shot against Justin Gaethje, that would be a great fight. I mean, other than that, there's not much options for him. So if, you could, if I could give Max three options. Number one, Justin Gaethje BMF shot. I mean, that would be a great fight. Number two, Aljamain Sterling moves up and they fight. I love it. Option number three, all I can really say is Iatopura. That's all I can say. And out of those three, I really like the Justin Gaethje option. I really feel that would be a good fight. You could do that as a pay-per-view main event. But Max, we probably won't see him the rest of the year. I assume maybe in December. But man, it was good to see him twice this year, getting two wins. And man, doing it in fashion. Love to see it, Max. You love to see it. And man, he's now had, out of his last five fights, three have been fight of the nights. It's been crazy. It's been absolutely crazy. Man, he was fighting for Hawaii with everything going on in Maui. It's incredible, man. 
It's incredible. He put a whole state on his back. And he came up large. Good job, Max Blessed Holloway, celebrating with his wife, with his sons. Amazing. And that was UFC Singapore. It was very, very good. I enjoyed it. It gets an uh, an 8 out of 10 for me. It gets an 8 out of 10. Oh, speaking of ranking things, I'm actually thinking about doing a ranking of every um, pay-per-view and every fight night main event and every... I'm just thinking about ranking a bunch of... Uh, I'm giving out end-of-the-year uh, UFC awards for the year, ranking all fight nights, ranking all performances, bonuses. I'm thinking about doing all that in December once the year is officially over. But in big news, it looks like UFC 296 will be going down in December with Michael Chandler and Conor McGregor. Conor's pushing for it. He's been posting stuff. I would love to see it, man. That'd be a crazy way to end the year. That would be that's the way the weekend before Christmas. That'd be oh, that'd be so awesome. But anyways, besides all that, UFC Singapore, excellent. Very much enjoyed it. Dana White's contender series, the 60th episode of Dana White's Contender Series, goes down tomorrow on ESPN, ESPN Plus. Um, NFL, we talked a bit about NFL. Gonna be talking a lot about that. I'm thinking about doing weekly picks every week. I'll be talking about my fantasy teams once I get all those set up. And we even ranked Marvel Phase 1, and we'll be back to rank all the other ones. So tune in to our next episode. We'll be previewing UFC Paris and all sorts of other surprising topics. But yes, I hope you were all surprised of sorts with some information. You enjoyed me talking about UFC Singapore and such. Hope everyone has an amazing week. You know, go kick ass, go Take it to the man, however you want to do it. And I'm going to leave you with a quote. Ot in vien, fiet ot faciam. I will either find a way or I will make one. Stay motivated, fellas. God bless.